Hello, superhumans. This is me, Ariana, your host, and I am so glad you're back with me today. And welcome to another episode of the Superhumanize podcast. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. Our culture is obsessed with productivity and getting things done. We use a multitude of communication apps, never-ending to-do lists, and countless productivity books and software to help us stay motivated and on top of things. But often, we still end up feeling like we get nothing done at all. We feel burned out and more like a human doing instead of a human being. How do we get off staying busy for busyness sake? And how can we become productive in a sustainable and healthy way? I am excited to introduce today's guest, Dr. Ayelet Fischbach. She's an internationally recognized expert in the field of human motivation and decision-making. Ayelet is the Jeffrey Brickenridge Keller Professor of Behavioral Science and Marketing at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business and the past president of the Society for the Study of Motivation and the International Social Cognition Network. Ayelet's groundbreaking research on human motivation has won her several international awards, including the Society of Experimental Social Psychology's Best Dissertation Award and Career Trajectory Award, and the Fulbright Educational Foundation Award. Ayelet is the author of Get It Done, Surprising Lessons from the Science of Motivation. And what she has to share is as surprising as it is inspiring. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Ayla, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Superhumanized Podcast. It's such a pleasure to connect with you. Very glad to be here, Ariana. Thanks for having me. What I would love to start this conversation with is the following question. You are an expert on motivation. So motivation is, of course, something that keeps a lot of us awake at night. How do we get it? How can we actually manifest our goals? What is the root of motivation? The, sorry, what is there? What is the root of motivation? Where does it come from? Yes, motivation comes from the person and their environment. And uh, basically, a naive perception is that motivation is just from within it's just who you are. You are a motivated person or not a motivated person. And while we know the personality does play a role, what is uh, the lesson from research in the behavioral science is that motivation is also from the environment. You might be very motivated in one context with some people in one place and not at all in another place with other people doing another task. So it's the combination of what you bring to the table and what you created around you, what is 
your environment, what are your circumstances? And of course, that oftentimes makes it so hard when we think about, let's take something that a lot of people may be able to relate to. You want to change your diet, your exercise habits. So the one thing is you making the decision, you setting the goal and actually also keep motivating yourself. If your environment, the people you're surrounded with do not support that, it can very easily happen that you actually will not succeed. So if that's the case, obviously, ideally, you could change your environment, you could surround yourself with people who are more supportive. Oftentimes, we can't do that. We can't and don't want to leave our families. We may not be able to move into an environment that's more supportive. So there are certain steps that we can take to mitigate that. So first, I love your example, and I love that you talk about eating healthier food, being a healthier person, and not just losing weight, because mm-hmm. I don't like when people set the, the goal to lose weight, which is actually not an appropriate goal for many people. And then for others, it just means that you lose the weight and then gain it back. And, uh, and then I love this example, because really, it's such a Nice illustration of the power of the situation and how much you you need to change something about your life in order to reach your goal. Saying that starting from tomorrow, I'm going to eat healthier food, that's extremely hard to do if nothing else changes. If I don't plan to eat in a different way, get my food in a different place, take out certain foods from my house and bring in other foods to my house wherever I eat. It really requires changing your environment and understanding that if there is a ball of candy on your desk, you are going to eat candy. If this candy is locked in your drawer, then you're not going to eat it. You're going to eat much less. If it's not in the house, then it's even harder. Basically thinking about changing your behavior in a similar way as to how you would change someone else's behavior. And Now, many times it's very intuitive for us. We all use an alarm clock to get us in the morning, or at least most of us use an alarm clock. And we understand that if the room is quiet and and dark, then we will continue sleeping. If it's noisy, then we'll get up. Other times it's less trivial that we should use these principles, which is basically change either what is around us or the way we frame it, okay? the way we think about what is around us. So you know, staying with the example of food that we may want or not want to eat, telling another person, telling a family member that this is your goal uh, now changes your behavior in a way that if I just told my spouse that I am not going to eat cookies the next time that I reach my hand to the cookies is there and I will need to be accountable. And so I just changed the meaning of the action and the consequences in the same way that I would do if I had to change someone else's behavior. It's really, so what I hear also that you're saying is it's really important to actually share our goals with those people who we care about most and who are also supposed to care most about us so they can actually support us there. It's really important to build a support network, especially when the things that we want to change are actually quite fundamental, such as the daily multiple times we eat. With regard to motivation, how does it relate to willpower 
And what's the difference between self-control and willpower? Yes, two questions there. Willpower is really the internal force, okay, that what Angela Duckworth in her grit scale, okay, it's how much you are able to get yourself from point A to point B. When we refer to a to motivation, we often see that also the force that gets you to reach your goals, but it's it's not necessarily from within. It could also be part of the situation that you created. It's not necessarily a stable trait. I, I might be very motivated to get some research done and very unmotivated to put my desk in order. Luckily, I don't see my desk, so you don't see the problem there. And so it's less about something that I have or I have not, not more about how I got myself to be focusing on a certain goal, pursuing a certain goal. You had another question. What was it? Yes. And it was if there's what the difference is between self-control and willpower. Self-control versus willpower. They are similar. We often talk about self-control in the context of overcoming temptation of having a conflict. So we think about self-control as you have, in a way, two goals that you want to pursue. They are in conflict. They either directly undermine each other. Okay. So you know, you, you want to eat something and not eat it, or they compete for time. Okay. And, and other resources. Okay. Uh, you want to exercise in the morning, but you also want to sleep in late. In goal conflicts, when there is one goal that you want to pursue another one that you wish you did not want to pursue, then that other one is a temptation and we have a self-control conflict. Okay. And the work on self-control really looks at how to help people identify these goal conflicts, identify that, that you want to, you know, buy this extra shoes, but also want to save money and that saving money maybe is more important. And then battling the temptation, being able to face the temptation and say, no, I am not buying, eating, doing this. I am going to focus on the more important goal at that point. Willpower is more general. It's more like the trait that allows you to go through your goal and do things and keep climbing the mountain, keep working on a task. It's not necessarily about overcoming temptation. You, you need to have willpower to get to the top of the mountain, even if you are not tempted to not do this, okay, to do something else instead. Right. And getting to the top of the mountain is actually a beautiful analogy. I have found that at the beginning and the end of a journey towards a goal, it seems easy, but the middle part is where it can get really hard. So how can we set that goal and stay motivated, especially during the middle part? Yeah, you are describing the middle problem. The middle problem, this lack of motivation in the middle, is something that we see both in terms of how hard people are willing to work and also in terms of how much they, they compromise the standards. So they might do the job, but they don't do it very well. And to, to illustrate the difference, in that one study that, that I ran with Matua Tillery at, at Northwestern, we found that Jewish participants in Israel that were lighting the eight, nine Hanukkah candles, that is over the holiday of Hanukkah, you need to light the candles over eight nights. 
they were much more likely to do the task on the first and the last night than in the middle. Okay, they were kind of not really pursuing the goal, which is a really silly, fun, celebrating the holiday goal. Nevertheless, they didn't really do it in the middle. So this is losing your motivation in the middle. Okay, not really you know, studying for the exam or not really working on a project or not exercising as much as you should in the middle. In another study, we found that people were literally cutting corners in the middle. That is, they did the task, but they did not do it well. And I say literally because we gave them a piece of paper on which we drew shapes with all kind of pointy corners, and they had a pair of scissors and they had to cut out these shapes. They were doing a really good job on the first shape and the last shape, and they were cutting the corners of the shapes in the middle. <laughs> and again, it was a funny task for us, but it illustrated the problem where we, even if we work on the project, we're just not doing a good job. And the reason is that in the middle, everything that we do feels like a drop in the bucket. Okay? Like you know, your first action feels so meaningful, both like symbolically and also it makes 100% of the progress that you have made so far on your goal. Your last action is completing the goal. Okay, There is often like a celebration mm -hmm. or at least a reward for finishing the goal. In the middle, it feels like you're not doing much. You also don't really... Notice your actions in the middle. You don't expect to remember them, lower your standards. But your question was what to do. And I would say short middles. And monthly exercise goal is not good because most of the month is the middle. Okay, so have a weekly exercise goal. Okay? Mm -hmm. There is less of a middle. A retirement saving goal is a really difficult one because it's your entire life in the middle. Okay? And so people have it as an annual saving goal or even a monthly saving goal. So th there is less of middle. And we've seen studies that as we make the, the goals shorter okay, by breaking them into sub-goals, you get less of the middle problem. That makes total sense. I, and it gives us much more of the beautiful momentum we can experience at the beginning and at the end, the celebration. So that would keep us going. Yeah, that again makes total sense. What's also interesting is I've come across researching you in preparation for this interview and also looking at motivation, the study of motivation is how do's and don'ts can affect our motivation. Can you talk to us about that a little bit, please? So people can set their goals in terms of what they want to do. Okay, so these are the do's or the approach goals. And in terms of what they want to avoid, okay, these are the avoidance or the don'ts uh, goals. Now, do goal might be to, uh, you know, to exercise or to eat certain foods. Do not goal will be to not skip an exercise or to not eat certain foods. As it turns out, don'ts, avoidance goals don't work very well for most people most of the time. And then I say for most people most of the time because there are people that are doing better with don'ts goals and also don't goals feel more urgent? So we give them that. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Don't goals uh, feel more urgent? When I tell you that you should not eat red meat, you feel like you should stop eating it immediately. If I tell you that you should eat more green vegetables, you feel that you can maybe start tomorrow or next week. So don't feels urgent. There are two issues with them. Okay. One is they bring to mind the thing that you are trying to avoid. So mm -hmm. you decided that you uh, don't want to, whatever, you don't want to obsess on, on like someone. You don't want to think about this person. How do you know that you are successful not thinking about this person? You ask yourself, am I still thinking about this person? 
And you know what? You just brought this person back to mind. So now when people set the goal of whatever, not eating donuts, they are constantly thinking about donuts. Okay, so that doesn't work. And then the other problem with avoidance goals is psychological reactance. And psychological reactance is our tendency to be rebels, our tendency to to want to do something exactly because we were told not to do it. Okay. You know how, like, you, you go somewhere, there is like this, like, nice statue and there is a sign that says, do not touch. And immediately you really want to touch it. Okay. <laughs> right. This is like the teenager in you and I uh, know the rebel. And this is the reactance where you tell people not to do something, including yourself. It becomes exactly the thing that you want to do. And that just makes these calls for most of us, most of the time, not very effective. Let me add one more thing is that we, in our research, also find that there is more intrinsic motivation for approach goals. When people set do goals, they say that they enjoy them more. They are mm. more excited about them. They're more intrinsically motivated than when it's about avoiding. Interesting. Yes. And I've experienced that myself. Something that most of us experience who have set goals in their lives are failures and setbacks. And usually we tend to really be very hard on ourselves when we experience failures or setbacks, but how can they actually increase our motivation? It's uh, it's hard not to be hard on yourself when you fail. It's even harder to learn from failure and it's harder to learn from failure compared with with success, which is a neutral experience because uh, we tend to either ignore failure or make these unhealthy overgeneralizations that we just cannot do this. Okay. Either we just don't pay attention, just ignore that, forget it, just move on. Or we know the other unhealthy consequence is that we say, I can do it, which is learn helplessness. And uh, and we need to learn from failure. And there are a few interventions that we can use in ourselves in order to learn from failure. I can give you some example, but I would say first that we need to learn from failure because Failures have really good information because often the information in a setback, in something that didn't go well, is important and is even better than the information in success. So we need to to learn. Let me mention one strategy that we use to help people learn from failure and they there's really a lot of research in the behavioral science on that. So I can give a few others, but I would say one which is give advice to another person. When you give advice to another person on how to do something based on your negative experience, based on not doing it well, you are forcing yourself to extract a lesson. Okay. You are forcing yourself to focus on what have I learned. And you're also enabling another person to learn from your setback. For other people, it is much easier to learn from our setbacks because they, their ego is not. How do we know that? In some studies with Lauren Esquist Winkler and, and Angela Duckworth, we found that students who gave advice to another struggling student, they were struggling on how to be successful in school, were more motivated to be successful. Uh, people that were struggling with finding employment, with controlling their weight, these are adults, with controlling anger. When they gave advice to another person, they felt more motivated themselves. So 
getting the lesson out of the failure is uh, often something that you can better do if you give advice to another person. Some of the most powerful autobiographies or even self-help books are those where the authors actually take ownership of their failures and share them with their readers. I found those also as a reader to be the most rewarding because you are able to save yourself from having the same experience with failure as someone else because of exactly the learning process that you just described, Ayelet. Yes, absolutely. You talk about an empathy gap. What is that? The empathy gap is the lack of empathy that we have for our future self, also for other people. But I talk about it in the context of our future self and which leads us to make choices that are hard to follow through. Okay, And a simple example for the empathy gap is a person that plans to drive too many hours when it's early in the morning and she's fully awake and it feels like she will be able to drive forever. She might not take into account how hard it's going to be to drive later in the afternoon when she's tired or what I'm sure you experienced, Ariana, that you are traveling somewhere that's cooler than Los Angeles and you forget to pack a sweater. <laughs> or a heavy coat, right? Because, you know, it's so nice and warm in California that you forget that you're going to feel differently when the temperature is 40 degrees in Chicago. And why that matters for motivation? We see that often when people plan their goals, they show this uh, uh, empathy gap. They plan as if their future self is only going to do what's important for them. Okay, what's useful? That this person is going to wake up at six in the morning and walk all the way through midnight, and they are never going to they feel bored or disengaged. They are never going to eat unhealthy food. They can stick with a job that is uninteresting because they will walk toward the, the good money that they will be making there. When people make these plans, they are a bit unrealistic because then the person that needs to follow through is your present self and your present self cannot actually stick with the boring job and, and cannot work from morning to night. To illustrate that with data, Caitlin Worley and I asked people, our students, our MBA students about their jobs. And we asked them right now for your current job, how important it is for you that it is interesting, that you're doing it with the people that you like, that you get some immediate benefits that you're intrinsically motivated. And then we ask them about their future job. Most people tell us is that it's important for them for the present job, but when they apply for the next job, it's not important. But your next job is going to become your present job. And if right now it's very important for you that you do something interesting with the people that you like, don't apply for a job when you don't anticipate that to be the case because it will be more important for you than you anticipate. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and uh, which leads us back to what we have been told and are trying to tell ourselves so often, be kind to ourselves, embrace our humanity. We're not robots. We're not going to function at full power 24-7 and be okay with that too and plan for that in order to be able to actually reach our goals. I'd like to talk a little bit more about goals and avoidance goals, especially what are avoidance goals? 
So avoidance goals are those goals, and these are the goals that seem that hard, harder to persist on. Okay, these are the the goals of wanting to make sure that nothing bad happens, that I don't engage in certain activities, that I don't connect in certain people, that I don't take certain directions in 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 my life. These are the the goals that are always part of our portfolio, but if you can turn them into approach goals, you are better off. By the way, when people feel empowered, when you feel that you have control over your life and that you have more power in at work or in your relationships, you, you tend to intuitively shift more toward approach and away from avoidance goals. So you know, the, the person without power will often think about their goals as don't mess up. Okay? Where the person that feel personally empowered is going to think about the same goal as do something great, succeed. Okay? It's not about not messing up. It's about being successful. So how can we reframe that in our mind? If we've been wired to operate on the parameters of avoidance goals, how can we start in a healthy way to reframe that? One possibility is just to be aware that often there is more than one framing that is possible. Okay, so you want to ask yourself, how do I think about this goal? Okay, let's take dating. How do I think about dating? Is it something that I do so that I don't end up lonely? So it's an avoidance goal or is it something that I do because I'm curious about meeting people and maybe meeting the person that I really want to be with, Okay, which is an approach goal. It's two sides of the same coin. With how very do I, different outcomes. <laughs> with exactly, right? How do I think about work? Okay, Why do I try to do good work? Is it because I don't want to lose my job? I don't want to be criticized or... Is it because I want to get a promotion? I want to advance. I want to do something good. Again, two sides of the same coin. And once you realize that there is more than one framing here that you can choose. And another strategy, which goes back to my answer, previous answer about power, feeling that you have more power in your life, in your relationship, in your family, with your friends, that often leads to more automatic shift toward uh, approach and uh, away from avoidance. Yes. And I think fundamentally, it also has to do with moving from a mindset of fear and lack towards a mindset of joy and abundance. Yes. And it's not that uh, obviously fear has its own ecological benefits. Okay? The reason that you need to get an annual checkup is you, you want to prevent illness and it makes a lot of sense. And thinking about what you're trying to avoid is what will get you to call your doctor's office today and schedule that appointment. But it's not what is going to get you to exercise on a daily basis. Okay, so <laughs> it works in the short run. It works in like, it, you know, avoiding some risk that is, uh, is immediate, that you need to uh, act uh, with urgency. There, there is not much stamina in Ayla, there's something I would like to learn more about, and that is the gradient effect. Can you tell us about that, please? The core gradient effect refers to our increase in motivation as we are getting close to at the end of the goal, as we're getting close to the reward. It mainly works in the context of all or nothing goals, so these goals that actually have an end state. And you can see that motivation increases over time. Okay? So you can see, for example, that people don't drop out college during their last year, but they often do it during the first year. Okay? And actually in the 
US right now, it's a big problem because about half of the people that start college will not graduate with a college degree. They will drop college at the beginning, not toward the end. Motivation increases. You can also see this with loyalty programs. Okay? Like people would start the program, they make a purchase, and maybe they will drop it. Okay? They will lose their motivation. But when you are one purchase away from getting the reward, this is when motivation increases. In, in my writing, I even give the example of my dog, which I'm sure every dog owner had this experience. Like when your lovely pet sees you from a distance, they start running toward you. But as the distance gets shorter, they run faster. <laughs> Last single gradient. Now put their running speed on you know, a figure when you will see an actual goal gradient. So this is the gradient. Uh, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it, right? Like your first, your first class in college only got you like a fraction of a college degree. Your last class got you a, a full college degree. Of course, you're more motivated. Yeah, yeah. That for that, your pet, the last step is when they get to land in your lap. And they, of course, they're more motivated to take it in the first step. Uh, but it also helps us when we try to motivate ourselves because mm -hmm. the more we can, uh, the more we'll make progress, the more motivated we are going to be, which means that often you just need to start. Okay. Once you start, like the motivation will kick in. Absolutely. And Ayelet, what are some practice and tool, practices and tools that you use to keep yourself motivated? Oh, everything. Like, I'm so lucky to be studying motivation because I can use it in my life all the time. I also have three lovely children that I can use my knowledge to help them stay motivated. I think about motivation along four general categories. You need to set the right goal. You need to uh, monitor your progress. You need to manage everything else that is going in your life. You need to leverage social support. And so I try to evaluate my goals to set them such that they are motivating, that they are clear, that, that they are not chores, that they are goals. We talked about portion avoidance goals. I look back when I start something. I look ahead after I make some progress writing the book. It, like the first half, I was looking back and saying, oh, I already wrote like some chapters and I'm making some progress. After the middle, I started to look ahead and say, I'm still missing some chapters. There is still more that I want work to get the right compromise between my goals to exercise self-control. And then I have a very supportive social environment that I designed. But all that sounds like I already solved the problem for myself. And that is going to be misleading. Doesn't mean that I don't struggle. Okay. I, like everybody else, do things that I wish I didn't do and eat things that I wish I didn't eat and, and experience setback. And that leads me to uh, an, another, I think, important lesson about motivation is that you're never quite done. <laughs> so <laughs> you never quite say, okay, master that. I don't have to ever worry about how to motivate myself. You could be exercising like four times a week for many years and everything goes right and then you lose it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> then it doesn't work anymore and then life just gets complicated. Okay. You could have like many of us that get a work schedule that totally works for you and everything goes well and then there is COVID okay? and your life is upside down and, and you just don't know how you'll manage to deliver what you promised to deliver at work. It's a, motivation is really a chronic issue and like you, 
you always need to refresh your procedures and your strategies and learning new ways. And I just gave you a long speech of everything that I do well. There is still so much I don't do well and I need to do better. Thank you for sharing the tools that you already use very effectively. And if I may share, in a sense, it's quite motivating to know that even an expert on motivation who's dedicated her life to researching motivation still sometimes also struggles with motivation. So that makes me and probably a lot of other people also feel a little bit better about when we're a little lacking in motivation. And that ties in with it being kind with ourselves and recognizing our humanity, which can uplift us a little bit and then get us motivated again. Ayelet, for people who would like to learn more about you or reach out, how can they do? Start with my website. Ayeletfishback.com or find me at the University of Chicago website. Again, my name is Ayelet Fishback. I hope that some people would like to read my book, get it done. And then I'm all over social media. Happy to connect to people. Really love the work that you are doing on getting people to be kinder to themselves, acknowledging that we are humans and use this to, to do good to ourselves and to the world. Thank you, Ayla. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for sharing how to get it done. Holly also recommend for people to read your book. And uh, thank you for sharing so graciously your wisdom and your time with us. It was a real pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, Oyana. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. <laughs>